Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. is one verse, and that is verse 17, but I'm going to start back at verse 16 and read to the end of the chapter. Give your attention to the Word of God. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father, bless our understanding, the reading and exposition of your infallible and errant word. Amen. The end and the beginning of New Year is always an important time to take spiritual inventory, to sit down and to think of all God has done in your life the preceding year, and to think um, as the psalmist teaches us in Psalm 90, to number our days, that we might present to the Lord a heart of wisdom, to recognize that we, in this life, even though we seem immortal, we are not. We seem immortal, and as someone once said, we are immortal until the day we die. If we're in Christ, we are immortal. We will live forever in his presence, but in these bodies, we won't continue to live in this world. The book of 2 Corinthians was written um, because Paul had wanted to visit the Corinthians again, and in part, uh, 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 through a personal visit, a visit, in part, how much he loved them and cared for them. If you remember 1 Corinthians, that's one of the most difficult letters in the, in the Bible that Paul wrote. It's, it's full of stinging accusations of them because they had not dealt properly with someone who was committing a, a terrible sin, who was committing incest, and they hadn't dealt with it. Well, he dealt with it personally, and they responded, and the, the man, apparently, who had committed this terrible sin had repented and was remorseful. 
And so Paul, in part, writes his second letter and wanted to go to a personal visit to say, this man has repented. You, you can't continue to hold that against him. He needs to be restored. Discipline in the church is extremely important. But at the same time, as Paul makes clear in this passage, what is more important is reconciliation. He was convinced of this man's repentance and his new faith, therefore they should restore him. It's always important to remember the context, the context of the early church. Every single epistle, well, maybe with one exception, that Paul writes to is a mixed congregation of Jewish believers and, and Gentiles, every single one. And First and Second Corinthians are no exception. And the big problem in the early church, most pointedly underlined in the book of Galatians, but almost equally underlined in this book of Second Corinthians, is the problem of the Judaizers. Those who were insisting that those who came to put their faith in Jesus Christ must go through the ritual of circumcision and obedience to the external Jewish law, the kosher laws, and all the things that went with Judaism. Paul, who is the quintessential Messianic Jew, do you, do you understand that? This is a rabbi of rabbis, the most educated of all uh, the Jewish uh, people. Uh, his PhD in Judaism, in ancient Judaism, that God saved. Just remember his testimony when he writes these verses. We're reminded of that in verse 16. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. We regard no one according to the flesh. We don't look at their external pedigrees. Even, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, apparently Paul knew Jesus before, before uh, he got saved. He, apparently he was around Jerusalem uh, through those events. He apparently knew Christ as a person. And what he despised, and, and he was probably among those Pharisees who respected his teaching, and yet after his, uh, his being put to death, he probably, um, well, we know from Acts that he despised that he was now being worshipped as the Messiah. And we know his story. He, God met him on the road to Damascus while he's persecuting Christians. In his role as a persecutor of the church, the Lord Jesus comes to him and literally knocks him off of his high horse and makes him the, his principal spokesman. Most of the New Testament is written by this Jewish rabbi who was named Saul, who was converted, who is now Paul. And his great, greatest opponents are his fellow Jews who conspire continually with the Roman authorities to put him to death. 
this is just going to if you read through Acts, that's, that's the backstory all the way through Acts. If you read these epistles, that's the backstory in all of these epistles as far as what is actually happening. He calls them in places, he calls them wild beasts in Ephesus. He's fighting with these people. But the question is, are you in the flesh? Are you in Christ? Are you a new cre creation? Has, has, has the old things passed away in your life? And have new things come? That's how I'm going to unwrap this verse 17. Are you in the flesh? Or are you in Christ? To be in the flesh is death. And it's interesting that Paul has been teaching against the Judaizers. He considers them in the flesh. Paul was well qualified to know what that meant. If you, if you look at his resume before his conversion, he, he might have, uh, in, in, uh, it, religious terrorists would not be a, a bad a bad description. He literally put people in jail. He was literally responsible for putting uh, believers in jail. And he considered himself responsible for putting believers to death. It haunted him throughout his ministry. That's why when he writes the book of Romans, he says, I, I was a, a blasphemer, a persecutor of the church. He participated in the death of Stephen, the first, one of the first deacons before he met Jesus. The backside of that religious uh, zeal, and, and, and it's, it, almost, it seems attractive to us. I mean, how often do we think of people who are very religious and they do, do good deeds and have a different religion, we think, well, they're, they're kind of our allies, you know. We have, we have friends who are very religious and they're moral. And I, I, think, I think of uh, many, many of in the Muslim uh, beliefs, you know, decent people. They don't do terrible things that we know of. Or, or the Mormons, another great example. These people are nice and, and uh, family values and uh, they're wonderful. Um, Romanism, with its uh, strict, uh, uh, strict people who uh, strictly follow the Roman Catholic teachings, it seemed so wonderful. I mean, you could go on and on. Name, name your religion. Some people, some of you know other people. Jehovah's Witnesses. We know some Jehovah's Witness people. They're the sweetest people, the hardest working people. They're in the flesh. Every single one of these things is a form of works righteousness. This is what Paul is enraged about. 
And the backside of all, all of those false religions that, that scream about works, this, and this, is, this is the context of uh, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Is all, all this works righteousness that's being uh, preached. The, the Judaizers, they, 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 were, they, thought, they thought the uh, zeal of uh, the, these new born-again believers was something uh, wonderful. But that's wonderful you're excited about Jesus forgiving your sins. But here, we can complete your knowledge. If, you're, if you've ever talked to cultists, that's what they do. Oh, it's good that you're zealous for, for the Bible. Let me tell you what it really says. And then they proceed to tell you all these lists of things that you must do. And it is a caricature of the truth. A of, we know what a caricature is. I'm married to artists, so I know these fancy art terms. A caricature is a, it's a bad picture. <laughs> You can't really do good art like my wife. I'm sorry, I probably offended somebody. <laughs> it's a bad picture. And that's what the flesh is. It's a bad picture of the truth. Paul is angry about it. And he is intent in every place. He's gone to these places again and again. He goes to Corinth. What does he do? He does the same missionary methodology every place he goes. He finds a synagogue. He goes into the synagogue and he proclaims the, the truth that the scriptures are fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And many of those uh, Jewish people are converted. And then he begins to extend out. If they, if they reject him wholeheartedly, he goes down to the town square and he preaches on the town square about the gospel to the Gentiles. Because in his mind, the gospel is to the Jew first. And then it's to the Greek. All of man's religion is about the gospel. I mean, it's about the flesh. It's, uh, it's why if you come to the evangelism class, um, the EE training, I'll give, you, I'll give you a little snippet of it. I've been through it at least three times. So it's very helpful. If, you, if you've been through it, you should go through it again. If you've not been through it, you definitely need to go through it. Because it teaches you some really simple ways to share your faith. And it teaches you some diagnostic questions that you can always ask to see where someone is. And, and one of the diagnostic questions is, is if you died today and you were to stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? I said that recently at a funeral in another church, and you could hear a pin drop. People audibly gasped when I asked that question. How dare you ask that question? <laughs> but it's a polite question. And the answer to it tells you, to you exactly where another person is spiritually. Our, the late Dr. R.C. Sproul used to keep a notebook. He would use that question. He, he went through the Share Your Faith workshop and he learned that methodology and he would use it and he used to take notes. He'd ask people that question and he found that a hundred of the hundreds of people he asked that question, 
80% of the people that he asked gave some form of a works righteousness answer. I've asked that the people who are going fixing to go in for open heart surgery. And then all the buzzers and the beepers go off and they get whisked away <laughs> before we get to the gospel. And I pray, you know, the <coughs> prayers, they come back and they did. That was, was my late father-in-law, by the way. And he did come to understand the faith. What are you trusting in? If that question tells you what you're trusting in. Because if you're trusting in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, and it leads to an opportunity to share the gospel, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Not only is it religious righteousness in the flesh, it's out, out and out pagan indulgence. This is the shocking thing to me in the church in the last 10 years is the overt fleshly indulgence of professing believers. Uh, it's it's just hard to wrap your mind around this. Um, I, I, uh, there was a famous singer that I never heard of, but apparently was famous. That they recently um, there's a movement called the Walk Away Movement. And apparently many young people who were raised in Christian homes who made professions of faith when they were young have walked away from the faith. And there was one prominent uh, fixture in the music industry, the Christian, so-called Christian music industry, who was one of these people. And now, and now, though, they've come back and they're working for a mainline denomination, which is mind-boggling. But, he, but he, this, this his statement about about why he walked away and he, why he criticized the church defines the flesh, defines the ugly side of the flesh. I guarantee you, in all those religious sects that I mentioned, if you peel back the religious layers, you're going to see something hideous as we're seeing coming out of Rome itself right now. The backside is always ugliness. If you've, if, you've ever, if you've ever delved into Muslim culture, you know that's true. And the way they treat children, it's wicked. If you've seen the, the movie or read the book, The Kite Runner, you know how ugly the backside of it is. But now it's overt. This former uh, Christian, well, I, he says he still is a Christian. But his critique of evangelical Christianity, his critique of the gospel is this. I found out if there's anything in your heart, this is how he describes Christianity, if there's anything in your heart 
You really want, that for sure is the last thing you want to do. Learn to trust your gut and your body. If you are following your heart, that's the, that's the new mantra of the age. You've got to follow <coughs> your heart. No, you must follow Christ. No. If you're following your heart apart from the Holy Spirit's work in Christ, you are in the flesh. The gospel is that you, because of what Jesus has done, can put the flesh to death. Whether it's religious bondage, whether it is the, the bondage of uh, wicked, wicked affections, whether it's idolatry, whether it's immorality, sexual immorality, whether it's addiction, whether it's any of the, the vile things that overrun us. The great truth is if you are in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation. The, the, the literal word, there's, there, there are no um, articles here. It's, it just says new creation or new creature. If anyone is in Christ. What, 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 is, what, is, what does that mean? It means being born again. That's what it means. Nicodemus was a famous Pharisee, probably a colleague of, of Saul, the rabbi, came to Jesus at night and respected Jesus, probably like Saul and many of the Pharisees. We told him that many of the Pharisees, uh, you know, they knew, <laughs> this man knew the scriptures. They didn't understand they knew them because he wrote them. But Nicodemus came to him at night, uh, this great teacher, another great teacher, and asked him, what? And this is a man who knew the, all the religious duties that were required by God, and he said, what must I do to be saved? You must Nicodemus, be born again. And that in John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 3. And that, word, that term, born again, that's been so misused and abused, it means you must be born, literally be born from above. Heaven must come down through the Holy Spirit and change your life. Nicodemus Asked, how can this be? I'm an old man. How can I be born again? And Jesus rebukes him and says, you're the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things. You know the scriptures that you must have a new heart. The prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, you must, you must have that whole old stony heart taken out of you and replaced and have a heart for God. And only he can do that surgery, and only he can bring that about. And what is the result? 
Old things pass away. Old things pass away. What are the old things in your life that need to pass away? In principle, they pass away immediately when you are born again. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, in principle, they're dead. Your flesh has been crucified. And, and spiritual reality is a process. Justification by faith alone, you're never going to be more righteous when you put your faith in Jesus. You're going to be, you're born again. You're a new creature. You're forgiven. That is the most glorious thing. And, and unfortunately, many young, young believers wake up after being born again and, and find out they, they still sin. Well, guess what? Join the club. The Christian life is about putting sin to death. It's about calling sin by its ugly name and murdering sin. More, the old Puritans called it mortifying sin. That's a, mortify is a fancy word for murder. Put it to death. Kill it. Call it what it is. If you're a child of God and you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have the power to put it to death. We have so many people that are that are that are, are caught in traps of of bondage to substances, to images, to um, alcohol, to all kinds of illicit drugs. It's just rampant in our culture. Guilt and shame from all kinds of things are just covering people. The good news is the gospel takes it all away and cancels it. Salvation is not by works. Salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. But no amount of religious knowledge of any kind, not even good reform knowledge. I, I'm just going to speak to our family. People know what I, in terminology I'm, I'm talking about. There's a form of reform Gnosticism, you know, that floats out here. That if we just know all the facts about the reform faith, that makes us special. It, I, I, I'm, I'm growing weary of the reform pastors that I'm hearing that are that are publicly making a mess <coughs> of the witness of the church of Jesus. You can be just as caught up in religious bondage if you have all the I's dotted and the T's crossed as anyone from Mohammedism or, or um, Romanism or, or any other false religious cult. You might know all the knowledge, but if it's not in your heart, it's not transforming your life, then you need to start back at the cross. The Apostle Paul was adamant about this. He's talking to people in the book of Galatians who are wanting to add, add the, uh, the uh, kosher laws back, the circumcision laws back, and do all. Somebody was telling me that they were talking to someone who was wanting to be a, a messianic Christian, as if that made them more special than just a plain Christian. 
And I told them to read the book of Galatians. Read the book of Galatians. <laughs> Starting at verse 11 of chapter 5, if nothing else. Listen to Paul. Verse 16 of Galatians 5, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are, are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. If you are a believer, you want to do what is right. You want to keep God's commandments. Many believers don't understand this basic truth and they're in bondage. So he spells it out. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You might fall into these things, but you won't stay in them if you're a believer. That's the, the message. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Old has passed away, new things has come. You, you have a new, you have a desire to be in a new place with new people who love Jesus like you do and want to help you and encourage you in the right way. That's, that's what the gospel does. Resolutions don't do it. I, I quit making resolutions a long time ago. Because I will, I will fail in every one of them. I already know that in advance. So that, that why I don't even bother. What will work is repentance. Recognizing what is true and doing what is right. Someone once said it's the born-again believer doesn't, doesn't hitch his, his uh, horse up to the place where he's going to get in trouble. He finds a new hitching post. He finds a new place. He stays out of those places that he knows will lead him into temptation. Have, have you ever wanted a new life? A new, completely different life? Well, there's good news. You can have it today. You can have it today. You ever want to break a bad habit or change your disposition? You can do it today. You don't have to wait. You can do it today. You can put your faith and confidence and hope fully in the person and work, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have hope in Christ, a hope that will never disappoint us. Thank you that you who began that work in us will complete it. 
Father, we, we pray if there's anyone here who's yet to, to come to faith in Christ, that you would bring them there even now. And Father, uh, our heart's desire is our loved ones to know the same truth. And Father, we ask for this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.